All right, so we are in the third part of our series, like Susan just mentioned, uh, called World Changers. And I'm really excited about today's topic um, on prayer. We're going to talk about world-changing prayer. and What does that look like? What does that mean? Um, and the reason I'm excited about this topic is it's kind of been something that uh, I have found myself having a lot of conversations about recently. Um, you know, the meaning of prayer, the purpose of prayer. Um, whenever, you know, get around with some friends, we've been kind of talking about this topic, especially um, in context of things that have been happening like in our community and stuff like that. Um, so I, I'm really, really excited, and I feel truly that it's a God-inspired message for all of us today. And what we've been talking about is this idea of the resurrection that we're, set, that we're still celebrating, like Father Abraham mentioned to us earlier today. We're still celebrating the resurrection, but the resurrection isn't just like a one-time event. The key thought for us has been that we are in the army of Christ, and the reason that we know we're in the army of Christ is that Christ didn't come back just for a celebration, but he came back with marching orders. Um, and that's really important for us, you know, uh, for all of us who, who love the Feast of the Resurrection. To me, it's like the highlight uh, of the seasons of the church is the Feast of the Resurrection. Uh, but it's not just about like the, the nice hymns and the, and the procession and all that stuff that we do in the liturgy. Um, the resurrection isn't just like an event. The resurrection is about us living a resurrected life with Christ, showing now that we understand what Christ has given us, that he died and he gave us life and that death no longer has a hold on any of us. And this resurrected life, um, we can say thank you to God for sure. We can, you know, relay our gratitude to God and all that is important. But the most important thing is that we do by our actions. And that's why this series we've been talking about, what does it mean to be a world changer? Life after the resurrection cannot look like life before the resurrection. So we talked about world-changing faith, and we've um, also talked about world-changing like speaking or speech, and today we're going to talk, talk about the topic of prayer. We're going to try to tackle that topic together. So we're going to go back to Acts chapter 1, okay? So we're going to go to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to look at the command that Jesus gives the, disciple, the disciples and then the response, okay? We're going to see kind of what happens in Acts chapter 1. So this is uh, right before Jesus' ascension into the heavens. Okay, so Jesus is with his disciples right before the ascension. This is what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is about to leave. He's about to leave, and he's telling all the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses. And if we're being honest, if we're one of the disciples, and, and he's saying, you're going to be my witnesses everywhere, all over the world, how do you feel about this message? I'd probably be a little bit confused, a little bit scared. It's kind of an emotional thing. I mean, it's been a roller coaster ride for them. They witnessed like Christ's ministry, all the miracles he did, all these great things. Palm Sunday was like the, the climax, and then death was like an his death was an emotional roller coaster, then resurrection, but now he's leaving again. All these things that they're experiencing, they're probably thinking, they have a lot of thoughts in their minds, they have a lot of emotions going on. And then we see what the reaction is. So Jesus says, here's your marching order. You're going to be my witnesses. And another word for that is martyrs. So some of them actually were literally martyred for their um, preaching of Christ. He gives them this strange marching order, which seems impossible. And they're having all these thoughts and all these emotions. And what is the first thing that they do? Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived... They went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Jesus tells them, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go not just Jerusalem, but all over the world. 
And this is the response, prayer. You would think, let's sit down and come up with plans. Okay, Jesus wants us to preach everywhere. Who's going to go where? Like, let's just think logically. We're here in Jerusalem. Okay, who wants to go to Samaria? Who's going to Judea? Who's going to Asia? We need somebody to go to Rome. Who, who's going to Antioch? Let's come up with plans. Let's figure out who's going to preach there. Like, let's assign, like, let's assign who's going to preach. Let's figure out what we're going to be doing between missions. Like, how are we going to sustain our, our mission? How are we going to eat? Some of them had families. How are we going to provide for our families during this time? Some of them maybe had kids. What's the daycare situation? Okay, you can tell what's on my mind these days. Like, what's the daycare situation? Okay? All these things are on their mind. All these human things, which is very normal. But their first inclination is prayer. And to me and to you, it probably seems odd. But the only reason it seems odd is because our distorted view of what prayer is. Jesus left them, and they have not received the Holy Spirit yet. That's why he says, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left them, their only desire, their only desire is to remain close and connected to Christ. Even though he's not with them in the flesh, in the, in, like physically he's not there, their desire is to continue to be close to him in spirit. They know that there's the command that he just gave them means nothing to them unless they're closely connected with him, unless they are inseparable, unless he's telling them, okay, you go here, you go there, now do this. Just like they were before Jesus, just like they were with Jesus before the ascension, they wanted to be with him after the ascension. And the only way that they could do that is through the gift of prayer. Prayer is what allows them to still keep that connection, to still feel like, not just feel like, but know that Christ is truly there in their midst. Prayer, for some of us, it's a last resort. Some of us will do everything to kind of solve a situation or a problem, and then, okay, fine, I'll pray. You know, fine, I guess I can't figure it out. Fine, God, you proved your point, now I'll pray. For some of us, it's truly a last resort, like when we're at our wit's end. Let's just pray about it. But for them, I wouldn't even say it was just a first resort or first inclination. It's what the apostle St. Luke says right there. It was constant. Prayer for them was constant because they always wanted to be connected. They always wanted to be connected to Christ. They wanted him there every step of the way to guide them and to lead them, even though he wasn't there with them physically anymore. They understood that the primary purpose of prayer isn't just to ask God for things, as we sometimes think, isn't just to kind of get out of a parking ticket or please don't get my car towed or those kinds of prayers. They understood that prayer was so much more than that. Ultimately, the primary purpose of prayer is to commune with God. That's the primary purpose of prayer. Now we'll talk about making requests and all that stuff in a little bit, but that's the primary purpose. Anytime we lose sight of the primary purpose of prayer, we get confused about what prayer is. The primary purpose of prayer is to commune with God. And commune, I know that sounds like a big word because we talk about communion and all that stuff. It's all the same thing. It's basically to be connected with God, to be connected with Christ, to be inseparable. And it's basically like, think about it, like it's like hanging out with your best friend that you never get sick of, okay? A best friend that's, that's, that's fantastic, that has everything, has all the wisdom. Um, you share all your intimate thoughts, your feelings, everything. You just want to spend time with them. That's all you want. To be in his presence is really the ultimate goal, and that's where we find satisfaction. The best thing about prayer 
is that it's tangible because our God is tangible. Like sometimes we think like we, we pray and it's like we don't know if it's real or whatever. No, no, no. Our God is a tangible God. Our God is a real God. And whenever we pray, we can trust and know that he's there, that he's there in our midst, in our presence, even though we don't see him, just like with the apostles. This is an incredible gift that we don't deserve to even have, but God deeply desires that for us. He desires this connectedness, this communing with him. St. John Chrysostom, a church father um, in the early church, says it this way. He says, we pray not to inform God or instruct him, but to beseech him closely, to be made intimate with him by continuance and supplication. I think that's the perfect definition. That's the perfect explanation. And that's what we should be aiming for. We're not just jumping into prayer. We're not just asking God for things. We're not informing, hey, God, did you know? Yes, God knows. Problem solved. Yes, God knows. Anytime you start praying, hey, God, did you know? Yes, the answer is yes, God knows. God knows. And we're not even there to instruct God what to do. God, you need to do this. No, 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 no. We're there to beseech him closely. It's a relationship. And with any relationship, with any fatherly relationship, we get close to God. We take one step. We say, Lord, I know you know that this is going on in our lives and this is going on in so-and-so's life. I'm beseeching you, Lord. Let your presence be felt in this situation. Lord, you come and be with us here today. We pray not to inform God. God knows all. We pray not to instruct God. He's the master, we're the servants. We'll be, we beseech him closely, and the ultimate goal is to be made intimate with him through supplication. This beautiful time of communion and intimacy is described by Jesus himself, and he tells us what prayer should look like. He explained the, the passages that we're going to read here in the Gospel of St. Matthew. Um, he's talking about what, what is the purpose of prayer? What, what does prayer look like? He talks about how some people do prayer, but here's how you should do prayer. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus says, prayer, it's not about showing off. It's not about praying in front of people. It's not about great sounding words. It's about you closing the door. Again, that intimacy, closing the door, one-on-one -on -one with him, not worried about what you sound like, what you look like, not worried about all the noise outside. No, no, we close the door and we spend time with him, seeking intimacy with him. It's easy for us to be distracted. And prayer is that kind of recentering, that refocus for all of us, that when we are there in prayer, that we are truly in the presence of God and we have to believe that. I want to actually talk a little bit about the end of that passage, though. And he says, who sees what is, the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's kind of ridiculous. Do you realize how ridiculous of a statement that is? I just told you that prayer is a great gift that God has given us. Prayer is a gift, nothing we deserve. Like God is humble in and of himself to desire that for us. He doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need us to commune with him, but that's what he desires. And he says, I'm giving you this gift. And when you use this gift, I will reward you. That doesn't make any sense. That's not logical. That's like me giving you a gift card, okay, for no occasion. A gift card you didn't deserve, like for no, no purpose whatsoever. I give you a gift card. I'm like, oh, you use the gift card? Okay, here's another gift. And here's another gift. And here's, that's not logical. No one does that. But that's the love of God for us. That's our starting point in prayer. That God isn't like us. God isn't like me and you. His goodness, his love is illogical. It's not, it doesn't make sense to us. But we have to start with understanding that the primary purpose of prayer is that intimate connectedness or communion with him. And that's all that, that, that we're seeking for. And that's our aim ultimately in prayer. Now, that's the, the, the kind of the overarching, you know, concept of prayer. 
theoretical, and we're going to get a little bit more into the practical here. How do we go from our current prayer life to like we've been talking about world-changing prayer? We talk about world-changing faith, world-changing speaking. How do we go from where we are now to world-changing prayer? I think the first part is that we ask ourselves a very important question. And that question is, are my prayers self-centered or God-centered? This is a hard question. Are my prayers self-centered or God-centered? And it's easy for us. We all know what the answer should be. We all know what the answer should be is that it's God-centered. God is the center of my prayer life. I go to meet with God and he tells me what to do. He tells me what's going on in my life. He's the one who guides me. He's my shepherd. But let's be honest, and I'm with you. Look at our prayer lives. Is it self Am I seeking God and his glory in all, all the things I'm asking for? Or is it, I pray for what I think is best for my friends, my family, my, myself, based on my own intelligence. Do I already have a solution for God? Did, am I trying to inform God or to instruct God? Am I praying for God's glory? Or am I praying like St. John told us to inform God and instruct him? Think about your prayers this past week or this past couple of weeks. Maybe it was God solved this problem in my life. Or maybe, you know what, solve this problem in somebody else's life. Maybe praying something about work, yet your boss leaves you alone or quits, even better. Like, quit, like, leaves you alone is here, quits is like, whew, that's like the glory of God is revealed. Okay, like, those are, might be some of our prayers. If we wanted to boil down a lot of our prayers, and, and we all need this recentering, myself included, our prayers tend to be what I think will make me happy and satisfied or comfortable, rather than God-centered prayers. God, what do you want me to do? And this is why the church teaches us that in, in pretty much all occasions, all liturgical events, um, we pray for a lot of things that may or may not have anything to do with us. We pray for, um, sometimes like you hear us pray for like the peace of the church. Here, we'll pray for like the farmers. We'll pray for orphans. We'll pray for widows. We'll pray for travelers. We'll pray for sick. Sometimes it has something to do with us. Sometimes it has nothing to do with us. Why? Because it's not only about me. The difference between God-centered and self-centered if my prayers are only about me, then what's the point? World-changing prayers take me away from the center of conversation and puts God there. Sometimes prayers, those God-centered prayers, are questions. Like, God, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do here. Lord, you guide me. You show me the way. Lord, I have no solution. You show me what to do. Sometimes those prayers are about God equipping us to do something great for his name that we request something from God to do something great for his name. And we're going to look at an example here, again, from the book of Acts. Um, the disciples kind of had this down. And we're going to look at a story here um, that's a little odd. So just stick with me, and uh, we'll read the story together. So the background here real quick is uh, John and Peter appear before the Sanhedrin, um, basically like a bunch of uh, Jewish leaders. And they are basically like, not on trial, but they're being questioned for a miracle that they did. And then after the miracle, they preached Christ. So they're being questioned now. They go back to, uh, John and Peter go back to their, their, uh, uh, the people that they were with. And when they tell the people the story, this is what their response is. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were, sit they were meeting was shaken 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They prayed for two things. We'll go through them together here. But first part that they, first thing that they prayed for, what's their prayer? To do what? Does anybody remember? You can yell it out. To speak what? Boldly. That's a strange prayer. To be able to speak boldly so that God's glory is revealed. How would we pray in that situation? I was thinking to myself, I'm Peter and John. Lord, I did everything you asked me to do. I, I just performed a miracle. Like Peter, you just performed a miracle. I did everything you asked me to do, Lord. Just protect me from these evil men. They're threatening me. Lord, you show them your glory. Protect me. Punish them, Lord. Take care of us. We're trying to do what is good and right here, Lord. Take care of us. Protect us. The last thing I would be thinking about is praying for more courage and boldness to preach some more, to get into some more trouble, to get threatened more. That's the difference between us and them. They don't care about themselves. They ask God to do the very thing that might actually hurt them. This boldness that they're asking for is actually, this boldness in preaching is what leads many of them to their own death. That's crazy. It's a crazy thing to pray for. Difference between self-centered and God-centered prayers. Their goal isn't self-preservation. Their goal isn't comfort. Their goal isn't even protection. And nobody would even say they were wrong to ask for those things. They aren't at the center of their prayers. After the resurrection, there is no question to them who is at the center of their prayer life. Who is at the center of their life completely? It is Christ. He alone rests at the center. He is the king. If you remember before the resurrection and before his death at the Last Supper, if you remember, they were arguing about who is the greatest. There's no discussion anymore about who's the greatest. The person who died and rose from the dead, yeah, that person has ended all discussions about who's the greatest. He is the greatest. So now he's at the center of their life. World-changing prayers like this one change us, and that's why they asked to, to be able to speak boldly, but they can't be contained. It doesn't just remain in us. Like when we go to God and we say, Lord, we want wisdom. Lord, I want to be more loving. Lord, I want this anger in my life to go away. When we pray for all those things, it's not just for us. That change, that renewal, that growth can't be contained. It's meant to be here. There's renewal and growth here, but then it goes outward. It has to go outward. That's real world changing prayers. There's a monk in the uh, Coptic church who passed away pretty recently in our modern time in the early 2000s. His name is uh, Father Matthew the Poor, and he has a book called Orthodox Prayer Life. Um, and in his book, he describes prayer this way. He says, therefore, the experience of prayer is not only for the sake of him who prays, but is ultimately reflected on others as well, to give light to all generations and to bear witness to God in every country. Real, genuine, intimate prayer will certainly affect us. And we have to believe when we're in God's, I just told you when we're in prayer, we're in God's presence. They believed that being in God's presence physically, and then he ascends, they believe that same presence was there in their prayer life. You can't tell me if you have that presence in your life that there's no change. There has to be change. That affects us. And it changes us so deeply and helps us continue to grow and renews us. But it has to affect everyone else around us. It's not self-contained. And this, this is a monk saying that. You would think a monk wouldn't even be thinking that way. He's saying it can't be contained. It's not just for you. Prayer ultimate, like that, that prayer life that we're all seeking, that we all desire, world-changing prayer, changes us, but changes those around us. 
It makes us go to the true source of light and take that light and then shine it everywhere else. So that's the first thing that we should strive for is God-centered prayers. Real world-changing prayers are God-centered prayers. They're not just about me and my own comfort. They're really God-centered. What does God want me to do? The second thing, and this is where I might lose some of you, but please stick with me. And if you do, I have a really nice story to share uh, at the end, so don't get distracted, okay? Don't be afraid to pray for the impossible. Don't be afraid to pray for the impossible. And if you know me and you know my personality, this is not me. If you know me, this is very hard for me. I'm very logical. And to be honest, I can be very skeptical. When somebody tells me like, oh, this happened, whatever, like, I'm not the, I can be very skeptical and very analytical. But what we learn in looking at the scripture and looking at the disciples, they weren't afraid to pray for the impossible. Now, it didn't mean that God fulfilled all their requests, but they weren't afraid to go in God's presence and pray for the impossible. Another way I was thinking about this is, you know, when they say like, dream big, pray big, okay? Like we dream big, we should also pray big. Don't be afraid to pray for the impossible. Prayers that you are like, I have no idea how this is going to be accomplished. Those types of prayers are what God is asking us to do. If we're only praying small prayers that we're like, no, I, I, God can do that. Or you know what? That, that's feasible. That's logical. That, that should happen. If we're only praying those types of prayers, it shows us how small our faith is in God or what we think about God himself. We should pray huge prayers. We should pray for the impossible. The prayer that I just showed you by the apostles, they prayed for boldness, but they also prayed for one other thing. And it's literally the impossible. By definition of earthly standards, they actually prayed for the impossible. Listen to what they prayed. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're praying for miracles. That's what they're praying for. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. We can't treat our God like he's a small God. We have to treat our God for who he is. That he's a big God. That he's able, that he has done great things, that he continues to do great things. And I'm not saying like, I'm not saying when I say pray for the impossible, I'm not, again, these are God-centered prayers. So I'm not saying like lottery prayers, okay? Like win the lottery, you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning. Okay, there's my skepticism again. I'm saying dream big with God. God, what would the world look like? If in this community, there were no poor, that we took care of the poor, what would that look like? Lord, what would it look like if there was always unity in your churches? Unity outside, what would that look like? What would the world look like if our prayers were as big as God? Again, I told you earlier that we pray for a lot of things that don't concern us in the church. Some of these prayers that we pray in the church, we're praying for the impossible. We're praying, Lord, that all the people are fed, the poor, the orphans, the sojourners or, or like travelers, immigrants, whatever you want to classify that as. We pray, Lord, that, you know what, the sick of your people are healed. We pray those types of prayers in the church. We're asking for the impossible because we believe God has and does act in that way. There's a beautiful prayer in the, in the book of Jeremiah, actually, um, where it's kind of Jeremiah and God going back and forth. And Jeremiah has this really long prayer and then a request, and he says, Lord God, 
It is you who have made the heavens and the earth. That sounds familiar. By your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. And then God responds, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? I love the back and forth here. It's God, it's Jeremiah first saying, God, you're so great. Lord, you are so great. You're such a great God. I know nothing is too hard for you. But then, like all of us, Jeremiah, you know, we say one thing maybe with our lips, but maybe hasn't really sunk into our hearts. And God is like, yeah, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. You're right. Nothing is too hard for me. It's a good reminder for us of how big our God is and that he will, um, he is able to do the impossible. We pray for the impossible and he's able to do the impossible. So we must try for God-centered prayers. We must pray for the impossible. Don't be afraid to pray for the impossible. And then the last thing, and I'll get to, by the way, what happens when God doesn't answer our prayers. Like, should we lose? Like, what's our reaction? I'll get to that in the end. The last thing here is we pray with persistence. You must be constantly in prayer like they were. And again, like you, know, like you, I'm sure there are seasons of life where we are very focused on our prayer life, and then there are seasons of life where we, you know, waver a little bit. But we have to have this constant prayer life that we take God with us and his presence everywhere we go. We have to be persistent and patient in our prayers. I think some of us sometimes give up too easily when our prayers aren't answered the first, second, third, or fourth time. The goal isn't a one-time great experience in prayer, but to be constant in prayer. Because the ultimate purpose of prayer is to commune with God. It's not to get my prayer answered. The ultimate purpose is to commune with God. And I believe this persistence that God calls us to, and Jesus gives a, a parable here in a little, in, that I'll share in a little bit, but this persistence, the day by day, the little by little, the more I pray, the more I grow. I, I pray, I pray, I pray, I grow, and God renews, and God renews, and God renews, and then God sends us out. That's the process. That's the entire formula is we spend time in his presence, spend time in his presence, spend time in his presence. We're connected with him, and he sends us out. Jesus gives this parable in the Gospel of St. Luke, a parable that I love very much. He says, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about pe what people thought. Bad combination. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. And then Jesus concludes and says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Jesus is telling us the, the persistence in prayer is essential. We have to have that, that, that persistent prayer life that we hold on to God no matter what. The difference here that we see, this unjust judge, not a great guy, didn't care about God or people, not, again, terrible combination. He still complies with the lady's request just because she keeps bothering him. And I can almost see Jesus telling this parable with a smile on his face. Like, this unjust judge is annoyed by this lady and he complies. How much more does our father care for us? that he is able, of course, to grant us our request. What Jesus is pointing out here is to be persistent in prayer. Not because uh, to just get everything answered in our prayer life, but again, that communion with God, that intimacy with him. 
I say all that. I said all these great things about prayer. And if you're like me, I, I confessed earlier, if you're like me, there's skepticism. Let's be honest. That's great. What happens when my prayers are God-centered? What happens when I am persistent in prayer? But I don't get my prayer answered. What happens? Should I just give up? Should I assume that God, you know what, doesn't want what's best for me? What should I do? Author of Hebrews gives us a beautiful uh, verse here, or beautiful passage, that tells us how we should draw near to God. And it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. That should be our attitude in prayer. We are going to meet our God in full assurance of faith that he is faithful. I don't understand the ways of God all the time. And if anybody here tells you that they do, they're lying. It's a mystery. Anyone who can contain God that way, that's not God. But what I know is that he is our hope. He is our redeemer. And the one that loves us so dearly will take care of us no matter what's going on. He is faithful. He's going to come through for us. And I'm saying apply these verses in your prayer life even when your prayer is unanswered and even when your prayer is rejected. That's how we should approach God. And I know it's not easy, but that's what we're called to do. St. John Chrysostom tells us uh, something similar. He makes this very point and he says, whether we receive what we ask for or do not receive it, let us still continue steadfast in prayer. For to fail in obtaining the desire of our heart when God so wills it is not worse than to receive it. For we know, not as he does, what is profitable to us. St. John Chrysostom is telling us the same exact thing. And I love the brilliance here of what he says. Continue steadfast in prayer. Whether you get what you ask for or you don't get what you ask for. And sometimes you think that not getting what you ask for is worse than getting what you're asking for. He's saying, no, if your prayer is rejected, trust that God is faithful. If your prayer is answered, trust that God is faithful. He knows what is profitable for us more than me and you. He knows what is best. And with our eyes, with our physical eyes, sometimes it doesn't make sense. How could that be the best result, Lord? We don't understand. We don't understand the ways of God. But what St. John is telling us, our job is to continue steadfast in prayer, to continue to be in communion with him to be in his presence and to bring his presence everywhere we go. Is this a cop-out? Is this a cop-out? Let's be honest. Is this, like, is this our way of saying, you know what? God just doesn't answer prayers and miracles are thing of, you know, the, the, the Bible stories. Miracles don't happen today. Is that a cop-out? How many people here believe miracles still happen today? Yeah? I see a show of hands. Not everyone raised their hands, by the way, but that's okay. I'm going to share a story with you guys um, that just happened this past week. And I, I take, this very rarely happens, but I said to my, like, I basically said, uh, I have to add it um, into the well because it was truly a miracle. Something happened this last week. Um, over the past few weeks, you know, our community as a whole, you know, people have been um, struggling with a lot of different things. Um, and Sherry and I have been kind of having this debate at home. And uh, we were around friends the other day, and we brought that debate to them, too, um, about kind of like prayer and like the importance of prayer and when does God act and like miracles and God, you know, and all these things that, if we're being honest, we're all just kind of guessing because nobody really knows how to really, it's all a mystery. 
We don't know how to answer all these questions. But I said, no, like our job is to, and now I have St. John Chrysostom, so Sherry's not here today, but when she watches this, I win the argument. He says, continue steadfast in prayer regardless of the result. Continue steadfast in prayer regardless of the result. Sometimes God does answer the prayer. Sometimes he doesn't. Our job is to continue steadfast in prayer. I said, yeah, but is that a cop-out? Like, are we just supposed to assume that, like, God never answers then the prayer, like the, the miracle when we pray for the impossible, like God never does it? I said, no, God definitely does. But just because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Then this past week, God has a sense of humor, of course. This past week, I get a call. Um, actually, we got a text uh, from a friend of ours who's been going through some medical stuff, and, and we've been praying with them, and, um, and they've had, like, a bunch of people praying with them. And more recently, we actually went to, like, pray with them in person. And um, usually, you know, we just hang out and whatever. And I said, no, let's, like, like, get together and pray together. I think that'll be nice. Um, so we get a text from, uh, we just prayed with them, like, a week ago. And then on Thursday, we get a text from them where Sherry and I are in the car together, of course. And we get this text. And they tell us, great news. The medical issue that I've been dealing with has resolved on its own. The doctors, no explanation. In fact, they checked it three times, and they have no explanation. And their words, this is a miracle from God. So apparently miracles still do happen. And I, you know, and then Sherry was about to text the person back and said, no, 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 call them. This is like, <laughs> this isn't a text thing. Like, we have to have a conversation about this. Like, I want the details. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm typically the skeptical guy. I'm, I'm typically that person. But God is trying to teach us a lesson. The devil wants us to think that prayer makes no difference in our lives. That prayer, yeah, I mean, I guess it's something we do. But the reality is prayer, without prayer in our lives, our life with God isn't real. It's not tangible. We're not asking for his presence to be there. And sometimes, like in this example, God performs a miracle. Sometimes he doesn't. But our job is to continue steadfast in prayer. Our job is to continue having those world-changing prayers and for me to take my ordinary prayer life where I just kind of waltz in and do a quick thing and whatever and leave as if it's like just checking the box and truly believe I'm in the presence of the almighty king, that nothing is too impossible for him. Nothing is too hard for him. I pray that what we are seeking after in this time of the resurrection, living that resurrected life, that we're seeking that world-changing faith, the world-changing speaking, and today in world-changing prayer, that we're asking for the impossible, not afraid, that we have those God-centered prayers and that we are persistent, that we continue steadfast regardless of the result because we know our God is faithful and that he will do what is most profitable for us. Let's stand up for prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, I thank you so much for your blessings and, and everything, Lord, that you have given us, Lord. I thank you for the people that you have here today and, and your beautiful church that you have given to us. And most of all, Lord, I thank you for your presence, for allowing us to be in communion with you, for desiring that for us more than we even desire it, Lord, at times. You desire it so much that you reward us even when you give us this gift to be in communion with you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for always wanting your children, always wanting what's best for your children, Lord. And we trust and we know that you are faithful. We trust, Lord, that no matter what happens in the world, that you always have our backs, that, you, that you're always looking out for us, 
that you're always desiring us and desiring that communion with us, and that's where we are satisfied. We're not relying, Lord, on miracles, and we're not disappointed when we don't get what we want. We know that you are faithful. We trust in that, Lord, and we believe that. Lord, I pray that you continue to transform our lives, our prayer lives, Lord, that they are truly God-centered, that we are asking for the impossible, that we are persistent. Most of all, Lord, that we are communing with you every time that we are in your presence. Pray all these things in your name through the intercessions of your Holy Mother of God, the Theotokos, St. Mary, St. Timothy, and St. Athanasius. Here says, we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us here today. You can find us on any social media platform and feel free to share a message that inspires you with family and friends. If there's anything that we can do for you, please visit our website and let us know how we can help or how we can pray for you. If you aren't receiving our weekly email, please click the Stay Connected button on our website. Have a great day.